the video and maybe you live long enough to record um, any kind of video that's not digital, not on a phone. <clears throat> and it kind of makes you reminisce a little bit, doesn't it? Makes you reminisce a little about life and it makes you think about the people who, who showed up for you and maybe the people who didn't show up for you. I'm guessing if we're all honest, <clears throat> we're probably here today because someone showed up for us, right? Somewhere al- along the way, you're here because someone showed up for you. Someone kind of intersected your life at just the right time. You, maybe you were going through something, maybe a rough patch in your life, a, a rough season in your life, and someone showed up and taught you about forgiveness. Someone offered you a second chance. Someone offered you a job when, for you, that was probably the biggest thing in the world. Someone showed up at just the right time in your life, and, and they, they did something with you. They interacted with you. They connected with you in such a way, and it changed your life forever. See, that, that's why when we walked in today, we gave you a card. You had a little white card in, in your, your worship guide, if you can pull that out. We're gonna, uh, I want you to kind of hold this card for the service. On the card, there's two lines. All, all I want you to do is worry about the top line right now. We'll get to the bottom line in a second. But here's what I want you to do. At any point throughout today's message, I want you to think about who has influenced your life. Who in your life has showed up for you? And I want you to write that name down. Now, you don't have to do it now. You can take some time to think about it. You may immediately think, oh, I know this person. It's, it's right at the tip of my tongue, and you can write it down. But at any point throughout the service today, I just want you to think about who has had that kind of impact on your life. Who has showed up for you and caused you maybe to show up here today? Because somewhere along this message, something in you is going to click. Something in you is going to shift. And I think as we continue to have this conversation, that there's something that's going to stand out and be more true to you today than maybe it has before. But I'm guessing we all can kind of agree to this statement. Your best chance to, influence, to have influence in someone's life is to actually show up for them. Right? You actually have to show up. Somewhere along the way, you actually have to be physically present in someone's life to make a difference in their life. And the problem is that if we're completely honest, sometimes when we show up for people, and we, we work and we have conversations and we try to connect, but we don't always see results, maybe as quickly as we'd like. You see, if you're working with preschoolers, I'm, I'm guessing <clears throat> at no point has the preschooler, the two or three-year-old, come up to you and say, you know what? Thank you so much. Because of you today, I know a lot more about respect and responsibility. I mean, like, it's, it's not happening. If you work with middle schoolers, I'm guessing at no point in your time working with middle schoolers, that, that little, a boy came up to you and said, thank you so much. Because of you, I'm going to be a better husband. I mean, he, he's a sixth grader, right? Sixth graders don't say those kinds of things. So sometimes we work and we invest and we try to connect and we try to show up for people, but we don't always see immediate results and it kind of discourages us and makes us check out a little bit. But here's the secret. And this church was kind of built around this idea and this value because here's what we know is true and I'm guessing here's what you know is true. When you establish a habit of showing up for others, it will change you more than it does them. Have you ever noticed by, by, by kind of being with people and working with people, it has an effect on you, not just an effect on the people you're showing up for? The reason I know that is because of some of the people you're sitting with today. That if after this service, after this message, you took them out for lunch and asked them that question, they would say, you know, I, I had a walk with God. I showed up for church and I went to Sunday school. I, did, I sang songs. I did all the things. But, but that something changed in me. When I began to work with kids, something changed in me when I began to work with, with high schoolers or young adults or, or even lead adult small groups. Something happened in my faith. It's almost like my faith became real and something shifted in me when I began showing up for someone else. You see, you are living proof in this room <clears throat> that when you show up for someone, it makes a difference in their life. And as we continue this talk and this discussion on helping the next gen win, I want it to be very simple today. So I'm just going to talk about just a few things. I'm going to lay a few ideas out for you. 
And then we're going to look at some scripture uh, um, that I think is, is really life-changing. The first thing we're going to talk about today is this. You have to change how you think about influence. If you want to help the next gen win, you have to change how you think about influence. And the reason this is so important, because if you're going to walk uh, out of here today and help the next gen win, you actually have to show up and be present for them. And you have to understand a thing about influence. You see, my guess is it's going to get a lot personal faster than you think it will. It's going to get a lot messier faster than you think it will. And the reason this is important is because a lot of us are confused about influence. Actually, I think a lot of us are completely confused about influence, especially when you think, look at our, our culture and how our culture perceives influence, especially in, maybe in our political realm today. A lot of us think about influence, well, when we think about influence, we think it comes from the idea of power. And we get this idea as parents, right? When, you're, we're, when we have a, like a three-and-a-half-year-old, they like to push the buttons and like test this principle over and over again and look at you and go, you can't make me. And you think, yes, I can. And you literally pick them up and you walk them over and you put them down and say, see, I made you. And we think because we have power, we have influence. But then in a blink of an eye, that three-year-old grows up to be a 13 or a 16-year-old and this relationship's changed a little bit. It's now them who are picking you up. You see, but we have this, this misunderstanding about influence. We think it only comes when we have power. But that relationship changes, and we realize our influence is gone. Or maybe you think influence comes from success. And many of you here today, I'm sure, are successful, and you could fill this whole auditorium with stories of your success, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but if we're going to rest and kind of lean all of our influence onto helping people and helping the next generation win, and we all, always connect that line to our influence, my guess is it's not going to go well for us. Have you ever had a, a conversation with your child and you've told them the right thing to do and they don't do that thing and they mess up? And then you're thinking, but I told you what to do and you didn't take my advice. Like, don't, don't you know who I am? I'm the pastor of Journey Church. People call and ask me things all day. I'm important. I'm a smart man. Like try having that conversation with a 16-year-old and see how that goes. You see, sometimes our power and our success aren't our greatest forms of, influ of influence. But oftentimes, that's where we lean, isn't it? We kind of see this all the time. We get a, 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 a perfect example of this in our political realm today, in our country, where we kind of lean heavily on the idea that it's power and influence that give, or, or sorry, power and success that give influence. But I, I have this idea and I, I have this thought as we're going to kind of look at Scripture and, and look at our culture today, that there is a greater way to have influence than power and success. But it's something that, that we don't always see. It's something that we don't ever talk about. It's something that, that makes it a little bit messier and a little bit harder for us. But that if we were to kind of aim for this different kind of influence, we would see a greater result than simply using our power and simply using our success. You see, you can influence someone because you, you trust, or they trust you, rather. If you're a parent and you have kids, if you're a leader and you care about your employees, if you just care about the people who are, who are in your life or you're in relationship with, you can get this, this different kind of influence, an influence maybe that can be earned. And that influence can help change a life. You see, if you want to have influence, you're not going to have it because you were put in charge or because you have power. We've seen that all the time, and it doesn't end well. You're going to have influence because you care enough, and you keep showing up. And the more you care about someone, and the more that someone knows that you care about them, opens up a door to have influence, and the greater influence you're going to have. 
You see, somewhere along the line, I think as leaders, we need to back up and ask the question, where does my influence really come from? Does it come from my position? Does it come from my title? Does it come from my success? Where does my influence really come from? And if you want to help the next gen win, here's one thing you need to have. You need to, or sorry, you have to change how you think about people who are different than you. You have to change how you think about people who are different than you. The greatest thing that can happen when it comes to helping the next gen win is when people realize that they matter to you. When people realize that even though they may be a different kind of person, maybe they believe differently than you, that there's this different kind of influence because for a moment, they matter to you more than your beliefs matter to you, more than your opinions matter to you, more than politics matter to you. You see, and here's a stretch for, for us as Christians, and I know this is really hard for us, but when people know that they matter to you more than what you believe, you earn a different kind of influence. You get a different level of influence. I've seen this carry out. When I was in college, I worked as, as a, a lifeguard, believe it or not, at the YMCA. <clears throat> I know this is like a great lifeguard bod, and, and I'm just going to spare you from that. <clears throat> But I remember connecting with one of the young girls in high school there. And, you know, as you often meet people, they have kind of tragic backstories. Hers wasn't too tragic, but she just had a really negative view of anyone who had gone to church. All of her interactions with Christians were very poor and very negative. So I set out from the beginning, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to connect with you. I don't care about what you believe. I don't care about where you've been. I just want to get to know you more. And time after time of having these conversations, of finding ways to connect, of putting what I believe almost to the side, like pushing pause on that, to find a way to connect with this young girl, opened her heart up to one day say, you're different than every person I've ever met. You're different than every Christian I've ever met. Something's different about you, and I want to know what it is. And I said, that's awesome. Why don't you come to church with me? See, because when you can pause, put a pause on what you believe, when you can earn a different kind of influence, you get, you get a greater level of influence. And that influence will change someone's life. There's a word for this kind of influence. And there's a word I'm sure you know. It's a word I'm sure you've heard when we put it on the screen. And we say, oh, yeah, that, that's the word. I know that word, Jim. But here's what I want you to do. For, for a moment... I want you to think about this word in a different way. Because this word, well, if you can understand it, if you can really understand what this word means and what it does and kind of the implications it has in our life, it has the power to radically change how you parent. It has the power to radically change how you lead. And I know you've heard the word before. The word is simply this, empathy. Empathy. This concept, I think, holds the key to almost all of our problems in our culture. Almost all of our problems in our country, definitely all of our problems in, in politics. It holds, it holds the, the, the key to, to problems in churches. This word holds the key to most of our issues as humanity. This word is why some churches have influence and other churches have none. This word is why your staff does or does not get along. This word is the reason why some parents, without ever realizing it, have alienated themselves from their children. This word is the power to transform the political condition in our country. This word has the power to completely dissolve racial tensions and issues. If we truly understand what that word means, and then beyond that, if we begin to live it out in our lives. You see, but here's the good news about this word, is that empathy is something that can be developed. 
Empathy is something that can be, envelop- be developed. All of our lives, the question is, are we learning to become people that care about other people? Are we learning, are we growing into people that care enough about other people that we might be able to influence them? See, but what it requires is this. It requires smart, successful people to put their beliefs and their values on hold, to kind of press pause on those things long enough to understand why somebody else believes what they believe and does what they does and thinks what they think. You see, here's how I wanted to find empathy for you this morning. Empathy is the ability to press pause on your own thoughts and feelings long enough to explore someone else's thoughts and feelings. The good news is everyone in this room can develop and grow in the area of empathy. Here's how we grow. The first thing we have to do is we have to pause to imagine. The thing that's interesting about you and me is that we were all made in the image of God. But one of the things that sets us apart from all the other creation is that we have imaginations. So much so that it calls J.K. Uh, Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, I'm sure you never expected to hear a quote from the author of Harry Potter at church, but she made the statement that I, I find really, really unbelievable. The statement is this, unlike any other creature on this planet, humans can learn and understand without having experienced. They can think themselves into other people's places. You have the potential in your brain and in your mind to look at someone and immediately connect to them and even put yourself in their shoes, to think of what life would be in their shoes and how it would feel and and how their story would impact your story and your life. You have an incredible ability, aside from all other creation, to have empathy, to connect with somebody at a personal level. You have the potential, unlike any other thing in creation, and when you do it, it can change your relationship fundamentally. Have you ever d- driven down to that Dunkin' Donuts down the road and met that, that real k- kind of mean lady? She's just got that, that, that mean face. And you think to yourself, you know, you order a cup of coffee and she kind of just slides it down the counter. What do you want? It's just you're like, man, what a jerk. You see, I happen to know that lady. And I know that, that her husband died of cancer three years ago. And that two years ago, her son ran away because she couldn't handle the pressure. And when you hear that, you kind of take a step back and it's like, oh. Now, none of that's true. I really don't know that there's a lady down the road with a bitter face at Dunkin' Donuts. But the truth is, there could be. And the truth is, you've probably run into people like that all the time. Whether it's somebody you're crossing the street with, somebody in customer service who's selling you something, somebody who, who you call on the phone and they're just, they're just angry. We run into those people day after day after day and all of us are so quick to judge. Well, they should be nicer and they shouldn't have done this. But if we would for a moment take a step back and hear a little bit more of the story and put ourselves in their shoes, something incredible happens. The story changes. Have you ever like, had an experience where you just wanted to drop the hammer so quick You know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's just a guy thing, but you hear something and this boils up inside you and you're just ready to like, to let them have it. Like you're, you're going to drop the hammer and then you hear the whole story and then you kind of sheepishly back away because when we hear the whole story, we don't make the wrong assumptions. When we hear the whole story, it begins to change. You see, when we pause to imagine just for a moment, it changes the outcome, doesn't it? We're so quick to rush to judgment. We're so quick to rush to a decision. But I think the thing that we can learn and the thing that that we can develop is a little bit of empathy to pause to imagine and take a step back. What would life be like? How would I be if I were in their shoes? Because my guess is I wouldn't be much different. 
As a matter of fact, if it happened to me, I, I may be even a little worse. What would happen if we pushed pause long enough? What would happen if, if we just decided, like, like for, for a minute, instead of telling people of race or, or people who, who don't look the same way we do to, to, to react differently to authority and to the people who are in charge, what if for a minute we just kind of took a step back and we just had a conversation and we tried to connect and build a relationship and understood a little bit more about their history? Would it change how we feel about the race wars? What, what if we pushed pause long enough? And this is a great one. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, what if you just pushed pause long enough to not write on a picket sign, to not update your status on Facebook, and, but instead develop a friendship with someone who believes a little differently than you believe? Would it change how you were about to say what you were just about to say? What would happen if for those of us who were older, what if we just pushed pause long enough to not get so frustrated with this kind of um, arrogant, like new leadership of the younger generation? And what if those of us who were younger pushed pause long enough not to get older at the know-it-all kind of my way or the highway leadership of the older generation? What if we just pushed pause and tried to understand what is it like in their shoes? See, part of the reason we're afraid to do this is because we feel that if we do, it's going to cost us something. It'll cost me my reputation. It'll cost me my influence. It might cost me the truth. But the truth is, empathy doesn't cost you the truth. Arrogance costs you the truth. Anger costs you the truth. Empathy enhances the truth. Empathy makes the truth a little bit more understandable when you begin to connect to other people and their story. You see, if you're a mom and a dad, this is so important. Because we go through, through phases of, of parenthood, phase after phase after phase, and we kind of make assumptions uh, based on information that we don't know yet or things that, that we haven't been able to ask our kids and get a good answer from, and it is exceptionally frustrating. And this is important if you're a parent, especially if you're a parent of a preschooler, because you probably think to yourself, how can I, how can I have empathy for a three-year-old? Right? How, how can I have empathy? No one knows what it's like to be a three-year-old. But maybe you didn't know this. Experts say that a three-year-old takes 75 more steps per minute than you do. So when your three-year-old asks, hey, pick me up, it's not because they're being lazy. It's because they work 75 times harder than you have. That's something to think about. Or what about a middle schooler? You know, I hear parents say this all the time. As a matter of fact, this just happened to me a few weeks ago. I'm just so angry at my daughter. I'm so angry at my son. I'm, I'm just going to ground them for like the whole summer. Well, why? What are they? Well, they're just so irresponsible. They just, I have to tell them things over and over again. It's like they don't get it. Did you know that in those middle school years, they actually use the, lose the use of a third of their cerebral cortex. No, no joke. It's a, a stage called pruning. So when you're frustrated and you say, how many times do I have to tell you? Didn't I already tell you this? The answer is yes, you did. But they, they forgot. It's not because they're being irresponsible. It's because literally they're losing their mind. <laughs> Think about that the next time you yell at your sixth grader. But you know, for us, it's so easy to remember what it was like in high school, right? We remember the high school years, the glory days. We'll get into the car and we'll put on our favorite 90s mix or 80s mix on the way home. And we'll just, we'll connect to the hit and the song. And it's, it's so emotional because we remember what it was like to be in high school in like 1996. <laughs> or, or maybe 1986. Maybe for some of you it was 1976. I'm, I'm not sure if you know this, but things have changed. And now 92% of teenagers are online daily. 53% of teenagers have a smartphone. 
And if you want to find a way to connect to today's high school generation, you've got to know a thing or two about technology. You see, things are different. And if we could just push pause long enough to imagine, maybe we could help make a difference in this next generation. The next thing you have to do is pause to interact. That means that you have to get involved in their life, that you actually have to show up in someone's life and get involved. There is a difference between empathy and sympathy. I'm not sure if you know what it is, but there's this great TED Talk. I don't know if you like TED Talks. I love TED Talks. There's a, a, a TED Talk given by Brene Brown. She describes the difference between sympathy and empathy in this great story. She says it's kind of like, like you're walking along and you fall down a hole and, and you, you break your leg and you're hurt. And then somebody with sympathy walks by and they stick their head down the hole and you go, oh, I'm so sorry. Want a sandwich? And you're like, really? Like, what good? And then somebody with empathy comes by and they look down and they climb down the hole and they look at you and they find a way to connect to your pain. They remember something in their life that brought them pain and they find a way to connect to your pain. And they say, I'm not sure I have the answer, but I'll do whatever I can to help. You see, there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is different. Empathy experiences the pain and it connects to their feelings. It involves putting someone else's interests above your own. It's kind of counterintuitive that way. It requires that you value someone else above yourself. It might require that you serve someone else before yourself. And you might ask, how do we learn this kind of empathy? And if you didn't ask that question, I'm going to give you the answer. Because as a Christian, we have the greatest example of someone who modeled this kind of empathy. But even if you're not a Christian and you're here because someone, you know, bribed you with lunch after church, I hope you get a great meal out of it. But this is an incredible example of empathy for you. You see, because we believe that Jesus, our Savior, he didn't just look down from heaven and see us in our mess and go, oof, that looks bad. No, he, see, he decided to step out of heaven into our mess to become human just like we were. Jesus didn't, didn't look at our reality and say, oh, that's bad. He stepped into our reality and said, how can I help? There's this great story. There's this great passage of scripture that starts in Philippians. The apostle Paul, he's a religious leader. He kind of grew up with more the sympathy side of things, but now that he connected to Jesus and met Jesus, he's beginning to understand empathy and, and how empathy changes things. It changes the story. And he's beginning to understand that we have a God who empathizes with us. And in Philippians, he writes this incredible passage. This is started in verse three. He says, rather in humility, value others as above yourself, the other generations, the other people that look different than you, the people that might believe different than you, the people that come from different parts of the world, the refugees, the outsiders, not looking to your own interests. Remember, we have to put our interests or their interests above our own. Why? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, this kind of thing could solve tensions at work. This kind of thing could solve racial tensions. It could solve the tensions in your marriage or in your home with parenting. If we could simply push pause on our own interests, own interests long enough to value someone else's interest. And then notice how he explains this. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. That means he, he wants to begin to change how you perceive others and how you think about others. It's like this mental thing. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Those of you who, who, who follow Jesus, those of you who have, who have kind of invited him into your life and into your heart, I want you to begin to live differently, so much so that you begin to value someone else and someone else's uh, opinions more than your own. And so... 
How is it that Jesus modeled this? He said, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as his own advantage. And I mean, just for a moment, think about this. If there was anyone in history who could have used his rights, right, his rightness to gain influence, if there was anyone in history who could have used his power as influence, if there was ever anyone in history who could have used his status, his success as influence, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus said, no. He said, I I want something better. I want a greater kind of influence than that. And Jesus put his authority, he put his power, he put his rightness on hold. He pressed pause. And here's what he did. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You see, this is a huge idea. This is a huge concept. And and if us as Christians, if us as the church, if us as people could begin to understand this concept, that even our Savior, even God empathized with us, and we begin to live that, how would that change our interactions on a daily basis? How would that change what we post to social media? How would that change how we interact with our children or with the other people we, we work with? See, what do we, why do we think Jesus did that? Why do we think Jesus went to the extreme for you and for me? Here's why. Because he wanted a different kind of relationship. He wanted a different kind of influence. He wasn't satisfied with the kind of influence that only comes with power, that only comes with, with success, that only comes with you being right. He wanted something more, and he wants something more for you and for me. And how do I know that? Because in Hebrews, there's this incredible passage, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse, verse, verse 15. He says this, For we do not have a high priest, someone who's removed, someone who doesn't connect, someone who doesn't understand us. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Why did he do this? Because of the result of what this does. He said, "Then Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, this is huge. And what this means is that somewhere in your Christian life and faith, you crossed the line. It means that, that when you realized uh, you can run to Jesus with all of your baggage, that you realize you can run to Jesus with all, with all of your hurts, with all of your hang-ups, with, with all that extra stuff that you've been ca- carrying around. You realize at some point, I can go to Jesus with this entire mess that I've made, and it's a safe place to go. When you realize that, you cross the line. And this is one of the most powerful things as a church that we can do. It's one of the most powerful things as a culture, as people that we can do, is create a safe place for people who are hurting, for people who are different, for people who have baggage and have all this extra stuff that they're carrying around with them to come to a safe place, a place where there's mercy, a place where there's grace. And this is in the DNA of this church. We spend a lot of time in this church, a lot of energy, uh, making sure what's spoken from the stage, making sure what happens in our small groups and happens in in our kids' environments, all kind of rallies around this idea that we want to create a place that's safe, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what your past was or where you came from, that you can come here. And it's kind of like coming home, that there's a welcome feeling, that I don't have to be like them and I don't have to look like them. And right now I don't have to believe what they believe, but I can 
come. And there's a safe place where I can get mercy, where I can, can get grace, where I can come with boldness and confidence. As a church, we've, we've made from the very beginning that our pursuit, to create a safe place where people who are nothing like us can come. This is huge for us. And we need more leaders who are approachable. We need more leaders who want to help us create that environment. We need more leaders who are willing to, to step into our children's environments and create a safe place for a young person to come. <coughs> because we're disciples. And because we're disciples, it's different for us. Because we're disciples, we will never settle for a version of the gospel that doesn't move you to love someone that is different than you. We will never, never settle for a version of the gospel that doesn't move you to love somebody who is different than you. I mean, as a church, you know what sets us apart? You know what makes us a little different? It's that we, we're not satisfied with just believing the gospel, but we believe we have to live the gospel. That we have to be an example of the gospel. And that story of Jesus, that's the gospel. To create a safe place for those who are nothing like you. For those who are different, who look different, who act different, who think differently, can come and experience the same mercy and grace that you do. You see, if we didn't believe that, we'd be satisfied with this. We would never settle for a version of the gospel that doesn't move us to just like someone who's different than you. But the truth is, you're never going to change someone if, only, if you just like someone. But you're, you're never going to trust somebody if you know they just like you. You're never going to have that greater level of influence if all you do is really like someone. For us, it goes a step further. You see, for us, we will never settle for a version of the gospel that doesn't move you to do life with someone that is different than you. Because it's got to move beyond liking them. For us, it even has to move beyond just loving them. We want to do life with them. We want to connect with them. We want to interact with them. Now, we started, we started this by asking you to think about a name of somebody who has influenced you and to write that name down. <clears throat> now, if you ask me to do that, I, I'm going to mention a name, and it's going to seem a little odd to you, but somebody who had influenced me, her name was Donna Crea, or Donna Cray. Do Donna Cray was a, a lady I worked with at a, a church when I was in, uh, right out of Bible college. She was a, the church secretary, and she had this, this incredible smile. She served faithfully day in and day out. She was there for everything. It didn't matter what was happening at the church. If something was happening, she was there. You see, what you don't know about Donna Cray is, is that she had a niece, a niece who had a very rough upbringing, a niece whose, whose mom and dad had separated and, and who had been abused by the mother and had been, been in homes with drugs and drug raids and all of these, these horrible set of circumstances. And she made it her goal to find a way to connect her niece to her Savior. So Sunday after Sunday, she showed up at, her ha at the house, and she'd pick the niece up and she'd bring the niece to church. Some days she'd send the niece back in to get changed because she didn't dress appropriately for Donna's standards for church. But she'd sit there and she'd wait, and she'd wait, and she'd wait, and she'd wait. And she'd get her niece and she'd bring her to church. And when her niece was old enough, she'd get her niece and she'd bring her to youth group. And she'd bring her to youth group. And she'd do whatever she could to make sure her niece was connected into church. See, here's the amazing thing about this story. Her niece grew up. Her niece fell in love with Jesus. Her niece went to Bible school. And then her niece married me. You see, this one lady's influence in one life has changed so many other lives down the road. It has changed my life 
And I'm a little emotional because Donna went to be with the Lord a few years ago. <clears throat> and I look back on her influence and how one small act can completely change a life. Who has influenced you? Who's that person who showed up for your life? Who's that person who made a difference where you wouldn't be here if they didn't show up and you just think, God, I am so thankful for them. I'm so thankful that someone decided to pause for a moment to imagine what it was like to be me. And then they didn't stop there. Then they interacted with me. And it's because of them that I'm different. Who's that person for you? You see, at the end of it all, if you were to ask Donna today, was it worth it? Was it worth it week after week to show up? Was it worth it to get in fights in the car with your niece because she was frustrated that you were so relentless? You know what she'd say? Absolutely. Every penny spent on gas, every morning of frustration, every evening I prayed, it was worth it and I would do it all again. Who's that person for you? Who decided it wasn't good enough to have influence based on power, wasn't good enough to have influence based on status or success. But I want a different kind of relationship. And this morning I'm going to push it a little bit further for you. And that next line who can you show up for? Who can you be that influence for? Maybe this whole service, you've, just, you've had that name on your head, and it's like, yeah, I know, I know who it is. I know, I know exactly who I need to start influencing. There's just somebody who stood out for me. I've got to be honest, as I was working this message this week, there is a, a young man who stood out to me so significantly, I felt more convicted before preaching this message than I think any message I've ever given here. Who is that person for you? You see, when you begin to open your heart up to God, when you open your heart up to Jesus, and if you're a Christian, you have. And you might not like where I'm about to go with this, but the truth is, if you've opened your heart to Jesus, you don't have a choice anymore. Because when you open your heart to Jesus, you open your heart to the people that Jesus loves. And it may be a little uncomfortable for you, and you may say, well, I, you know, they believe differently, and they don't look like me, and they don't act like me. If you follow Christ, you don't have a choice anymore. It's what your Savior asks and requires of you. If you open your heart to Jesus, <coughs> you open your heart to the people that Jesus loves, and you open your heart to whatever God can do. Now, when we have talks like this, immediately there's always some kind of, some kind of argument about how we can get involved. Well, you know what? I really don't like kids, Jim. But if you've opened your heart to Jesus, you've opened your heart to the people that Jesus loves but I'm not really good with kids. But if you open your heart to Jesus, you've opened your heart to whatever God can do. But I, teenager smell. I mean, have you smelled a teenager recently? But if you open your heart to Jesus, you've opened your heart to the people that Jesus loves. But I, I don't feel qualified. I'm, I'm not trained. I don't, I don't really know what to say. We have training and we can help you. But here's what you need to know when you need to understand. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do through you. A story I just shared of Donna. It's, always, it's not really about what she did. It's about how she opened her life and allowed God to do something through her life. That changed my wife's life. It changed my life. That changed our little girl's lives forever. Because when you open your heart to Jesus, you open your heart to the people God loves and whatever God can do. Who has influenced you? 
And who is God asking you to influence? Who is God asking you to show up for? If you can't write that name, if you can't write a name in there, I've got some incredible news. Something radical can happen right now. Right down the hall, we have an environment called Journey Kids. There are kids in there who are, who are just waiting for someone to show up for them that's not their parents. As a parent, that's, that's a foregone conclusion. You're showing up. They are waiting for someone who's not their parents to show up for them. That could be you. We have an environment called transit with middle schoolers who are just looking for people to show up and get involved, to press pause long enough to imagine what it would like to be them and then connect and earn a different kind of influence. So if you can't write a name in that blank today, write down Journey Kids. Write down Transit. Write down Adult Small Group. Some of you can earn influence in ways you never thought possible. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment. <clears throat> I'm going to say a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to fill that name out. Whatever it is. If there's a name that's been burning in your mind, write it down. And here's what you need to do. <clears throat> you need to leave here with a different sense of purpose. Because it's really good to have these kind of conversations. It's really good to have this talk. You know, yeah, we love people and we want to do life with people and we want to connect. And then you leave here and you do absolutely nothing. When you leave here today, you need to look at that form and you need to look at that name you've written down and you need to have a new purpose and a new zeal and a new passion to get involved and to earn a different level of influence so that you can show up in their life. It needs to change in you today because it's this kind of influence that can change a church. It's this kind of influence that can change a culture. It's this kind of influence that has the ability to change a country if as Christians, if as disciples, it's as, as people, we learn to follow our Savior in this and model that kind of empathy to the world. Who showed up for you? And who do you need to show up for? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so honored to get to deliver this kind of, of message. God, there's so much humor we can laugh through this, God, but it is so meaningful. I thank you for Donna. I thank you, God, that she showed up for my wife in so many ways that she showed up for me. I thank you that her influence, Lord, will be remembered for generations. And I pray, God, for every person here that they can remember that their person, their Donna, who the person who showed up for them and influenced their lives and made a difference. And I pray that right now you would begin to bring a name to mind of somebody that they need to begin to influence, somebody they need to show up for. And if not, give them the boldness to sign up to join one of our ministries. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.